All right. If you're doing this kind of work as a therapist, I can promise you two things are true. One, it's really important work in someone's life. And two, you're putting a lot of you into this. So as we've talked about before, we want to expand and get more detailed. What is working against your work? What is keeping you from breaking through uh, with the EFT process? Welcome to the Leading Edge in Emotionally Focused Therapy with your hosts, Dr. James Hawkins and Dr. Ryan Reyna. EFT is a dynamic model that humbles even the most seasoned therapists. Together, we want to come alongside you as you continually push the leading edge of your understanding and application of this wonderful model developed by Dr. Sue Johnson. Hey, welcome back. Appreciate you being with us. We're at the taping of this episode. We're calling it taping? Recording. (laughs) We're at 185,000 downloads, so we appreciate you being with us. Uh, This episode is primarily James's content, so I'll be facilitating and maybe adding a little bit, and then we're going to alternate on the next podcast. So James, you're coming back off the road. Both of us have been on the road a good bit, um, handling the fatigue that comes with that, and but the beauty of that is we're always learning. I learn a lot from participants, from mistakes, from things that happen in live demonstrations on the road. And so this this episode, this uh, is is some some nice lessons you've been picking up on getting clear. So mm-hmm. take it away, James. What goes wrong? Yeah, for sure. I definitely want to shout out the New York Center for EFT and those participants up there. A really sharp group of people up there. Uh, with George, Zoya, and Alana that are doing a great job in the New York area. And also working with some people here in Arkansas, down in Van Buren, and and people from around the world who are sometimes able to come into those trainings. So that, really exciting. That is the first shout-out Van Buren, Arkansas, I've ever gotten <laughs> on a podcast. I can tell you that. <laughs> now we love you, Van Buren. <laughs> so, you know, what I appreciated was watching participant tapes and then, you know, doing some supervisions as well. Uh I do a supervision group with with uh, Fionn Viotis and Lisa Palmer Olson and just getting to watch a lot of people that are out there in the midst where the world is hurting who are trying to keep pushing and trying to get better. And then just like you said in the teaser, and then trying to get better, sometimes not noticing some the little nuances of where they're trying to do beautiful work, sometimes things that could be happening that are almost in a way sabotaging their good efforts. And so I was like, oh, wow, look at that. Like if we could learn just to catch those little things, it just keeps getting our work like feels like 1% better each time or 2% better each time when we can catch these little things. So maybe these aren't exhaustive for everybody. If they work for you, great. If they don't, you know, that's okay too. But these are just some nuggets I'd like to share. Like, oh, wow, if we could clean those little things up, it can help make our work a little bit better. Um, so I'm just going to kind of run the list and we can talk about them as we go around. I think it's important to mention these aren't just errors on the part of the therapist. 100%. This is, this is what the cycle does to you. That's right. Right? That cycle gets going, protection becomes contagious, and then mm-hmm. we get ourselves in binds. And these are some maybe some common things that happen to us in those binds. 100%. That's great, right? Um, and it just happens because the therapist, you're having to watch out for so many things that are going on. You know, while you're talking to one person, another person can be talking. If you're working with a family or whatever the constellation, it's just you're having to watch all these things that are happening. And even sometimes it could happen while the client, they have beautiful tears in their eyes. You don't realize that they could almost be sending a little dagger over to their partner. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, 100 percent. I love that, Ryan. 
So I'm just going to, it's no particular order here. We didn't rank these out. But one I noticed, sometimes it's while you're working with one person that can compromise your work. Is like we've talked about on other podcasts. When you're working with one person, you're always constantly borrowing from your your attachment or alliance with the other person. There's always rupture uh, in the alliance. But what can happen is, <clears throat> is when you're talking with one person, and instead of them talking about themselves, they keep talking about their partner. We've got to really catch that. Because if you've already tried to establish and take control of the session and told the other person they can't interrupt... <laughs> And then their partner keeps telling a story about them or for them. And then they can't interrupt and jump in. When you get ready to, if you try and turn and pass an enactment or you turn to go get their experience, all that pent up energy is now going to be waiting for you because it's like, you kind of, you kind of held my hands and I kept getting punched a little bit there. And I'm a little bit angry about this. But once again, I don't think the therapist intends to do that, but we got to watch out. And, you know, George does a good training on this. And I think he's even, yeah, we, he did a podcast on here about it, about when our client building the bridge, when they keep talking about view of other, how to get them back into view of self. So that way they're not just constantly, you did this and you this, and my partner thinks this and my partner does that. Like, oh, wait, hold on a second. As you look at that, help me understand what, what comes up for you. Get, get them back into their story, though. So that's one. Yeah, that's good. I think, you know, it's great. It's, a, it's, it's another example also of it depends on what level of sharing is going on, mm-hmm. right? If it's vulnerable or they're sharing longings, then you can get away with that. But if you're up there in that toxic story, if you're up there with blocks and bullets and, you know, here's what my partner does wrong, you're in, you're in dangerous territory. It's going to happen some, but if it happens too much, you can, it can rupture a lot of different things. 100%. I want to even piggyback on that one. Another one that I noticed, Ryan, that sometimes – while we're trying to do good work is when we allow the client just to talk in too much of a generalized story. So the story really has no anchor or root to the relational distress that's happening for them. Um, And because it it kind of leaves, particularly I saw this one happening. Well, it can happen for either one, the pursuer or the withdrawer. But when we just keep going into like a general story, the withdrawer brain can be like, okay, so where's the problem? What's going on here? Or for the pursuer, what I noticed was when they stay into generalized of a story like, mm, see, you don't see the threat. You don't see the threat. You're staying too far away from it. So we've got to learn how to really help our clients not just stay in the story that moves them away from the, the emotional or relational experience, but a story that's grounded in their place of distress or longings. We've got to give that frame because if it stays too vague for the human brain, they have nothing to really anchor themselves to. So being able to not just stay in too gen- of a generalized story, we've got to give them a relational frame. Then this next one is kind of tied to it. I also picked this one up from Catherine Rehm. If you look at the levels of experiencing scale, this is still along the generalized. Letting them stay in a story that is absent of emotion or their experience of them inside of themselves. That's the thing. Remember, we are emotionally focused therapy. Ryan said this on a podcast, and I love this quote. Because what is emotion? It's a signal from the body trying to get an attuned response. So if we let them stay in the story that has no signal, I think that becomes distressing for their partner. Because from an attachment framework, the caregiving capacity of them is being activated in some way, but it has no target to move towards. There's no clear signal of of where that caregiving capacity in them needs to go. So we need to make sure that even as they begin to roll out a story, not just to push the story away immediately, 
but we need to help them bring in the emotional, the emotion part of it, so they have a clear signal, and the experience of self inside of the story. You got something there, Ryan? No, I was just thinking about how you're using that word story. We've used it before on here. I think I want to expand it even more in the future. Story or toxic story. Mm-hmm. You know, all that is is someone saying over and over and over, this hurts, mm-hmm. and I don't right. feel safe and connected in this relationship. It'd be nice if they just say that, um, but that's that would require safety to even say that. So we, we definitely don't want to completely ignore the story, but no. you cannot get caught in it. And I can't tell you how often we see that in my own sessions and, and, and on video. So you're right. You've got to, you've got to pull out um, focus about the relationship and then here and now emotion. That's right. Or you don't have any, you don't have any ingredients to make your soup. You know, there's, that's the thing about those stories. When the, when the conversation gets stuck up there, you, you just sort of starve, you just sort of starve the vehicle of fuel or you run out of oxygen or you don't have any ingredients. And so it's really, really key that we learn to uh, catch the story, but not get caught in it. Yeah. I hear Dr. Viotis in, in my head because what we're not saying is the story is bad. Right. The problem is, is when the story doesn't have any texture to it that we can work with. It stays too general and vague, right? Once again, imagine having to read a story that's really important, but there are no characters and no experience, but it's 500 pages long. You'd be like, I really have to make it through it. Yeah, there's something important in here you got to figure out, but I, there's no context to this. There's no, there's no experience in this. And what, we're, what me and Ryan are saying is it's a story that does not have the characters involved with their emotional experience that becomes problematic because there's, there's nowhere for the, the function of attachment to really do anything to make a change. There's no signal to pass or share or to respond to. So now you just leave them on a hamster wheel of life, of a story that never has anywhere to go anywhere. That sucks for them. And we want to join them in that place and at, and at the essential layers of the relationship to the story. And what's heartbreaking, I think, and, and we'll take a break after this, but um, what's heartbreaking is I think people – First of all, they spend a lot of time. You can almost see your client staying up at night, resetting this story, and with this with this hope that if I can just explain this story in this way, then people will see it my way, and and it'll get better. And that is just almost never possible, right? So it's it's in some ways, if you leave someone in their story too long, you're it's very demoralizing. And uh, so it's a big deal how we're going to manage these stories. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to freestyle the commercial today. Uh, Okay. Is that okay? Okay. So, you know, of course, we love the stuff that we do here on the Leading Edge podcast. And me and Ryan do it in very short, small segments. But as you know on the other commercial, if you'd like to hear more, go to successandvulnerability.com. I'm really excited about the new things that are coming up. We keep hearing from our community that they want more interaction, and we're trying to figure out how to do that. And I think from on behalf of George and the SV team, we're so thankful for the patience y'all have had with us as we've been trying to work and to de- develop that platform. And we're great. We're good therapists on that platform. We're all learning business people. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not. We're trying to figure out how do we have community involvement while making it sustainable. How do we make it? Um, how do we make it a fair price for everybody? How do we make sure that uh, the people who have already uh, are a part of it get their value out of it? Thank you so much for your patience. We are trying something new that's really exciting that's coming up. You can go check out our website. We're trying these things called 
SV Lives. And on the SV Lives, it's it's $40 right now for people who are already a part of SV and $60 for people who aren't. It's a time to have a more intimate kind of connection with members of the team as we talk about smaller um, processes of the things that we're teaching. The first one coming up, I can't remember the date, it's in February. Uh, it's coming up with George Fowler. So I got to make sure I get this episode out before George does that. And he's going to be talking about this. How do we build the bridge from the view of other back into the view of self? So that way the other person's not just sitting over there kind of feeling like they're getting hit and then helping the other person. Cause if they keep focusing on the other, they never get grounded and get a change inside of themselves. So I'm really excited about that one. But once again, if you want to hear more success and vulnerability.com. All right, Ryan, <laughs> Do you like? No, I I didn't play the music. Back Mm -hmm. to our regular Mm -hmm. scheduling episode here. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So next one on my list, Um, and this is one that will make Ryan happy. You know, I I sometimes call Ryan Big Comfort. I also sometimes call him Big Trigger. He'll like this one. (laughs) Is that there's no trigger? There's or or in a sense, if that word is too violent for you, there's no danger cue. But particularly the reason why our couples are in our office is we need that danger cue because it is the thing that kind of, the way I picture it, it it what keeps us in contact with their limbic system. And sometimes what I notice for EFT therapists, they do a good job of really getting things clear, maybe tracking a cycle, but when that trigger is missing, you can just feel like, "Mm, I'm kind of on the horse, but I don't have reins to hold on to, and this thing could buck me off at any time. That trigger is the way that we kind of be able to stay in contact with the limbic system of our clients. So I think that was something that I kept noticing. Like, hmm, if you could just get clear, what is it that makes that person afraid? What activates their protective strategy? You need that. And if you get hold to that, that takes your work to a whole nother level. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just one of the top five most redundant things we teach on this episode, uh, on this podcast, and I'm glad we do it. So Sorry, not sorry, um, because this is a redundant piece of the process. And I, it's funny, as you were going through those first two or three um, bullet points here, it kept crossing my mind, a really vivid trigger would, would solve that problem. <laughs> it's, it's hard to get stuck in a toxic story if you're really, really focused on getting a trigger. And I don't even like the word trigger. Yeah. I never used the word trigger in my session. That's right, 100%. But, you know, going back to, this is Affect Assembly, going back to Magdal Arnold's initial theory on this, the whole thing starts with a danger cue. That's right. And if you don't have a danger cue, you don't have the elements of attachment, mm-hmm. even access to it, mm-hmm. which almost guarantees, not guarantees, but it, it, it increases the odds that you're going to get lost in the same story they do at home. So um, really, really getting a, a clear, vivid trigger, if possible, somatic from the partner. It changes so many things. And I'll tell you, one or two percent of videos that I see has one. Mm. And so you're making yourself work way harder than you need to because the danger cue is already there. Sometimes it just happened right in your session, but it's definitely in their relationship. So why would you not use maybe the most effective springboard to experience is the danger cue. 100%. Yeah. I love that. And I think this one, I'm going to go with one that might tie to that too. Another famous one, you know, George talks about the difference between a great therapist, a good therapist and a great therapist is focus. Sometimes I see EFTers, they are so, they are really are experientially attuned. You can see their heart for their client. They're willing to get in there and get into the hard spots and work with people in pain and sadness. 
But even in that, while we want to be attuned, you also want to have focus. Like even, you know, we see the work of, of many of the great trainers is because they know what they're looking for. They know when they get it, what they want to do with it. And they know where they want to go with it. And that focus is so, so important. The, uh, the metaphor one of a, person's in, in a, pe- a person in training uh, gave me was it's almost like a dog trying to chase a car. It's like even if you, the good dog catches the car, what are you going to do with it? Well, that's what focus helps you with in a sense, right? Sorry, like all these Arkansas kind of people like another place like, what, dog chasing cars? I don't know. Anyway, um, but that focus is so big. And not only focus for the therapist, this is another one I just noticed this week. And I didn't know I was, I was doing it in my work. And I showed one of my tapes in the training. And they said, James, I, you were able to take that person there because all along the way, you kept telling them why you were where you were and why you wanted to stay there and where you were going to use it for. And it, it felt like it helped increase the efficiency of your work. I was like, huh, didn't know I was doing that. But I do remember when I was doing this work without that kind of clarity. And I think sometimes for our EFT therapists, like you're trying to do something really good, going back to what Ryan said, it gets harder when not only do we don't have a clear focus, but we want to invite our clients. Remember, EFT is a collaborative process. It's not something we're just doing to people. We want our clients to come into the work along with us because we want them to learn it, to feel it, so that way they can learn to do it without us as well. What's going through your mind there, Ryan? It's good. You know, you now you said it well. I don't have a lot to add. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, focus is really the hardest part of this thing. You know, again, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the one thing the relationships, those clinically distressed relationships cannot do outside your office. Let me flip that just a little. We could probably do an episode on this later. Okay. To do EFT, you're going to have to, we are going to have to accept that some of your sessions are not going to be focused. And, you know, namely that first 23 minutes where you're hanging out, you're trying to find, you're trying to pick a piece of work, you're doing your tango one work. Sometimes that's not true. Sometimes you get focused at minute five. Mm-hmm. You know, I did, my last live demonstration, I was 34 minutes and I couldn't get a focus. Hmm. Um, and that you can, you can see that uh, case on successandvulnerability.com, by the way. Chad Imhoff did a beautiful job of facilitating uh, the study of that case and, it wasn't that the clients were doing anything wrong or necessarily that I was. It was just really a unique form of blocking positivity is what it was. Um, and so you, you've also got to embrace the fact that there's not always going to be focused. But the more you can reduce that, the more productive your sessions are. So I think your point's well taken. I like that. That's good. Let's see. I think I might have hit. Oh, nope, nope. This, I can't believe uh, I, I was going to leave without this one. If George ever did really listen to podcasts, he'd be like, why did you leave this one off the he's list? He's not going to listen, James. <laughs> he didn't listen to his own podcast. Don't tell him I said that. I know, right? No, but here's one. Uh, doing all of this work, getting access to the motion, and even getting it assembled and getting it clear, but then no enactment. That can really begin to sabotage your work. And here's what I mean they can sabotage. Have you ever had your clients and you did some um, some deep, some great assembly work, and then they look at you and they're like, now what? <laughs> right? Because the enactment is our theory of change. It's what we're trying to do there is we've gotten the emotion, we've gotten the signal clear. Now let attachment work. Let the signal be sent over and then let there and then help facilitate a response back to the signal. And then that's how you really get all the essential elements and, and really reap the benefit of the work that you've done 
in particularly if we want to put it into the tango in move one and move two of the tango. This is where we get to reap the harvest of it in moves three and four of the tango. But we've got to get into those engaged, choreographed encounters um, if we're going to really make a difference. And this is how we implement change. Yeah. Yeah, I'll never forget, you know, being in Ottawa one day, name dropping here, sit, having, having lunch with Sue and Gail and others. In Ottawa. In Ottawa at a trainer retreat. And we were talking about certification videos. Tango was really just kind of getting traction back then. And Sue kept saying the same phrase over and over. You got to pass it when it's hot. You got to pass it when it's hot. So to not do enactments absolutely destroys EFT. The model probably doesn't make that much sense without enactments. And secondly, you know, it is a hard decision. Sometimes I have really, really hot emotion and you got a clinical call. Because if I have a clear sense that they can go deeper and then I can get the emotion even more hot, you want to stay there. Mm. longer, use more reflection, use more self, use silence, um, and see if we can go even deeper. But the risk of that is if you don't pass it when it's hot, it might cool off. So if I get wordy or if they get wordy, a subject gets changed, we can miss the the whole point of them being there. So got to do our enactments. This reminds me of two paths a little bit right there too. And I want to add one more, just hit my mind. Another thing sometimes that can sabotage our own work is when the self of the therapist gets dysregulated. Now, let me be careful when I say I'm not trying to talk about therapy type stuff, but what I mean is, is when sometimes for us as therapists is when our own kind of, we get particularly what I see for many good attuned EFT therapists, they get concerned about what will happen in the enactment. And then that makes them kind of like want to wave it off and not do it. But that can begin to sabotage our work is when sometimes our own fear of we're not quite sure how it's going to go. And then it makes us kind of do a protective move of avoiding those moments. We want to watch out for that. And that's not to say like just to begin to do some of that self-supervision or if you're in supervision to say like, hey, why did I pass on that moment? Why when that tear in that entered the room, why didn't I stay with that tear? Why I had the wording for that at Act Clear? What was happening there? Or why when the frustration from the pursuer came up? Why did I go to psych ed? What was going on there? The energy was right in front of me, but I didn't take it. What was going on there? Just to make sure that maybe something's not happening for us that could get in the way of maybe sometimes some of the good work that we're trying to do there. Yeah, I had a, I had a great supervision session maybe three or four weeks ago with a, with a woman, and, and she was, it was, I mean, I love the vulnerability. She goes, sometimes I don't want to. There we go. You know, it's live and it's vulnerable and something happens within me. You know, so we did a little bit of self-talk around, you know, a really chaotic family of origin, not being responded to some growing up. But it's also somewhat normal. Yep. You know, she did a good job of saying this seems really, really personal, vulnerable, almost pornographic in a sense of mm -hmm. looking at someone's inner world. And so I just said, so why, why are we doing it? You know, and, and the conversation went to because they can't. And they're in the office because they get close to it and they can't do that. So that's where we're being invited in to be an orchestrator in these moments of helping this secure bond experience happen right in front of you. And I would just love to say, like, what a therapist that she could catch that and put words to it. Absolutely. <laughs> that's amazing. And what stinks is she, she has shame in sharing it. I'm like, oh, you just that's really articulated very well and very clear. So nice job. And she was able to push through. So, yeah. Whoever that was, gold star for you. <laughs> exactly. I'll tell, I'll tell her you said that. Yeah, please do. Seriously. 
Well, y'all, thank you so much. You know, these are just once again, James and Ryan just trying to say like, wow, man, look at all the, like, I love what Sue keeps putting out. Not only do we get to learn from our clients, when you sit in a trainer seat or a supervisor seat, you get to learn from the people that you do. And, and thank you all for sharing these nuggets. It makes me better. It makes Ryan better. And we're sharing this list. Hopefully you don't hear it as shame, but it's like, wow, I didn't know I was doing that. I do that one. And then we can get, hopefully, like I've been working on this idea of getting 1% better every day. That's good. Thank you all so much. Thank you for listening. We hope this experience helps you push the leading edge in your work to help people connect with themselves and with each other. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review. You can contact us at pushtheleadingedge at gmail.com. And you can follow us on our Facebook page at Push the Leading Edge. You can follow Ryan on Facebook at Ryan Reyna Professional Training and on his website, ryanreynatraining.com. You can follow James on Facebook and Instagram at DocHawkLPC. You can also check out his website, DocHawkLPC.com. Thank you.